0: Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nations Football Podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Josh Matica, and this is Before the Box Score. Uh, It's Sunday. It's a full day after Missouri beat Vanderbilt. And of course, beat is the lowest definition of the word that you can use while still committing to it and claiming victory. So we decided to reunite the dad pod because we're not mad, we're just really disappointed with Missouri football. So, of course, here's Josh Matica. Sir, welcome back. How are you doing, man? I'm doing
1: good, man. Um, Is this, uh, does Levi drop the uh, air horn after dad pod or after (laughs) we're not mad, we're just disappointed?
0: (laughs) I will leave that to his editing acumen because he's going to have a better answer than me and probably a witty uh, Photoshop to go with it. But uh, Levi, wherever you want, man, Josh is here, air Air horn away. Ah.
1: Yeah, I, I I will say um, when we're when we talked about reuniting the dad pod for this game, and then after actually watching the game, which was just truly an unfortunate thing that happened to me yesterday, um, I was I was thinking about all the things that I say to my kids, and the one that always came back to me is like, hey, I don't tell you this because I want you to not have fun. I tell you this because. Um, because I'm, I'm concerned for your safety. And that's what I would say. Anybody that watches Mizzou no. football this year, I'd be like, Hey, maybe don't, not because I don't want you to have fun, but because I'm concerned for your safety. So th- there's my dad. There's my dad advice for the evening.
0: I can't tell you how many times I've been like, Brady, make a safe choice, make a safe <laughs> choice. And he just, he just doesn't. So let's don't get Don't play in traffic, it. Brady. God, really Literally, just don't, don't, don't throw do into it. traffic. Yeah, also that, <laughs> I just, there's not a whole lot of good uh, you can say about this team realistically without being accused of being a sunshine pumper. The one thing that you can say is that this team is as good as its defense is. And man, that defense is good, but it cannot do it by itself. Josh, who, you just, let's, let's focus defensively between Tyron Hopper, between, Jalen Carlisle between Martez Manuel, Chris Abrams, Drain, and his rakestraw. Just what was the biggest defensive impact that hit you after watching yesterday's game, and how happy did it make you?
1: Well, you know, I, I think in terms of the biggest impact, it wasn't even necessarily one player. I will say it was really nice to see Chris Abrams draining Chad Bailey back. Uh, I kind of was wondering how it would feel to have them back after missing them for a week. And you could definitely tell the impact that they make on the field. Um, But I think the most impressive thing to me about this defense is the fact that they have to just like strap in and carry the offense on their back for the entirety of a football game. And what we've seen, you know, over the course of the season, I think is that they're really good at doing it for like two and a half, three quarters, depending on the intensity of the offensive firepower that they're facing and then mm. just the fourth quarter they just kind of start to break down which is like you get it you know you you understand why a defense wouldn't be able to hold another team back for the entirety of the 60 minutes but they did it yesterday and maybe that's because they coming out of the bye week you know you get a little bit of extra rest but you were just I, I was just kind of waiting especially when Vanderbilt started getting those points back I was just waiting. I was like, when does the defense break? When when does the bend become break? And they just never did. And that's so impressive that Mizzou's offense is so feeble at this point <laughs> that the defense can still continue to hold up and still continue to win them games. The fact that they're three and four, we've talked a lot about on the site how you know, oh Mizzou is just X amount of plays away from six and one at this point. Nate, I'd say they're a few plays away from, what, one and six at this point, right? Like, yeah, they, awesome I man. mean, Mizzou doesn't make one or two plays. Yesterday, they lose to Vanderbilt at home during homecoming, <laughs> during the biggest crowd in three years since COVID hit. That's, I mean, so props to them. You know, the wins count, whether the defense wins the game or the offense wins the game. But the fact that they can hold up as well as they can almost speaks more is more impressive to me than the individual efforts themselves. Although there are plenty of individual efforts that are worth highlighting.
0: Absolutely. I, uh, I was able to take a look at the game from a uh, advanced statistics standpoint this afternoon. I, of course I watched the full thing yesterday. My God, why did I do that? Uh, Both kids are taking a nap this afternoon, so I charted Vanderbilt's success rates. In the first quarter, Vanderbilt had a 16% success rate. In the second quarter, 36. third, Third quarter, 29. And fourth quarter, 27. Folks, that's bad. That's really bad. That's below even Vanderbilt's average for the year. And they are one of the worst offenses as far as success rate goes in the country. And Missouri made them somehow worse. So, yes, it was bad. A.J. Swan, freshman quarterback, through his first interception of the year, looked terrible, had a 13-for-30 performance for 115 yards. He had no answer for Blake Baker's boys, and they were able to unleash unholy hell on them. I Between Jalen Carlisle, uh, just all over the place, between Joseph Charleston baptizing Will Shepard in the good waters of Charleston's left arm, Uh, between Chad Bailey, just sucking up every single tackle you can find. Uh, I mean, Tyron Hopper was relatively quiet, even though he was a force in the quarterback pressures, Chris Abrams drain Ennis Raikstra, I thought had the best performance of the day. And this secondary is legit, but BK and I talked about it last week. I thought, uh, Ennis Raikstra was clearly your number one corner. Might need to reassess after yesterday when Chris Abrams-Drain finished with not one, not two, but three passes defensed. And these were not just swatted away because the quarterback made a bad throw. He was in position, he jumped it, and he knocked it out. It was absolutely incredible. And, of course, Ennis Rikstra chipped in, too, as well. The, fact, the only downside of this defensive secondary's performance yesterday was that they were incredibly unlucky. In college football, for every three passes you defend, usually you get about it one interception. It's it ends up being like, you know, every 3.3 3 passes or something like that. But let's just call it three. Every three passes you knock away, one of those ends up being an interception. Josh, they knocked out 10 passes yesterday and got one interception. Almost two. They were incredibly unlucky to only get one. And really it should have been two, but the fact that they can do all of that <laughs> even without you know turning them over. Uh, Missouri needs every inch it can get, and so far the secondary is is delivering to drive that defense forward.
1: Was it Charleston? was he the one in the fourth quarter in one of those last drives that just like basically stepped into one and just kind of let it yeah. hit him in the stomach and he dropped it. Yeah, no. that was tough. I was, yeah. I was so disappointed. I was ready to put that game on ice and just turn it off. And I obviously couldn't do it afterwards, but yeah, man, I was, when we were doing our uh, MV3 ballots this week, um, we got a lot of votes for people in the secondary. I think uh, Chris Abrams, Drain, Carly's and Charlson all, um all got votes, but I mean, has is all over the place. Um, even Drayden Norwood had a pass defended yesterday. I mean, it's just like really impressive the work that they've done with this secondary as a whole. And I know that the the defensive line maybe doesn't put up the numbers that you would want them to do. I, th- I think they do a decent job getting pressure on the quarterback and into the backfield. But I mean, when they're not cre- when when as much production isn't coming out of that space as you would want the secondary is usually the one that suffers right but just line by line every guy in the secondary two deep is just so impressive and i'm Mm. like i'm kind of wondering at this point of looking at these names how many of these guys are going to be playing on sundays i mean i know i can see at least two maybe three i'm a two i'm super confident about uh chris which is it
0: Oh, uh, Chris avers
1: and Carly's. Um, I'm mm-hmm. super confident that we're going to see them play on Sundays. I think rakestraw has got a better than average shot. I, I don't know about Charleston. It might be a little late for him to... I mean, he may be able to make a practice squad somewhere, especially if he keeps performing like he is now. But man, they're just like... They're just fun to watch. I know Missouri isn't fun to watch right now, but they are. It's just that every mm-hmm. time they're having to make plays, your, your butthole is clenched because you're like, what's about to happen. Um, but then, but then, you know, they're, they're still really good. So.
0: Yeah. Now Missouri has one of the worst sack rates in the country, 5.8%. That is 73rd in the country. And most of that is because they don't get sacks on standard downs, like, you know, first down, yeah. second and second and five, third and three, they're 106 in, in, in and standard down sack rate. It's in passing down situations, where they it cranks up to nine point two percent, which is top forty in the country, but to your point, their pressure rate, almost thirty percent pressure rate, that's twenty seventh in the country. Blitzes yeah, pro- defense- drop back thirty five percent. Like they can create the pressure. It's just yeah, the 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 production, the sacks aren't there. That's all.
1: Yeah, they do uh, every. I feel like that. That's what I'm saying. I feel like every time I'm looking at replays or I'm watching. Um, or I'm watching the game, it, it feels like they're doing a lot. They just There's not a lot of end product there, which is really unfortunate, because I think that would just bring them up that next step, maybe from like a borderline top 25 defense, maybe even into like borderline top 15. It just feels like that would put so much more pressure in the teams they play, and maybe they're bagging a few extra wins. But it's not mm-hmm. like they're not producing anything, you know? I mean... I think in an ideal world, this entire podcast would be dedicated to talking about the defense and how fun it is to watch and how good they are. Uh-huh. Um, yep. And like, I guess that's like the one thing you can nitpick about that, and the fact that they give up too many explosive plays. But I mean, there's just like we've been lavishing so much love on the secondary, but clearly, like Chad Bailey and Tyron Hopper are such an awesome duo of linebackers mm-hmm. in there. And then I'm, I'm re- I've been re- I've just been really happy to watch this defense i mean it feels bad to watch mizzou football at this point <laughs> and the defense doesn't totally make up for that but there it, it is encouraging at the very least when you look at the trajectory of the program to say you look at the beginning of last year and where the defense was shout out steve wilkes got his first nfl win of the year today <laughs> yeah, um good job. you look at how Just absolutely atrocious they were. To now, like a year and a half later, they're one of the top 25 defenses in the country, pretty much with a lot of the same guys. That's really impressive. That's really impressive. And I think that is something to take away from this really discouraging season is that how much progress has been made in such a short amount of time.
0: Yeah. Now all Eli has to do is hold on to him. Because, boy, there are a lot of blue blood programs that need a good defensive coordinator and Blake Baker is certainly making a claim to be a uh, expensive investment for whoever wants his wants his uh, wants his skills mm-hmm. so we will we will see what happens there but for now he has found his defensive coordinator now of course we have to talk about the offense because this is Eli Drinkwitz's team and that is Eli Drinkwitz's side of the ball <laughs> Mm, what can you say? I, I don't even know what to say anymore about this offense. The offensive line is an absolute liability. You have eight receivers, four of which are injured, two of which are out for the season. You have a, a running, your running back stable. Your best guy is a walk-on from Truman State, and you know no tight ends to speak of to the point where you're playing on a sixth lineman every time you want to run the ball. And frankly, your quarterback's so bad, but he's not even the worst part of it. <laughs> Switching out your quarterback is the one easy thing to do, and it's not going to fix a damn thing. So, Josh, we're just stuck in perpetual 2015 hell with an offense that can't do anything, and it literally makes games unwatchable. I, you have, You've said it before. I've said it, but, like, it is no fun to watch them play, and it's not like Eli Drinkwitz's were offenses of the past were super flashy and fun, but this, this, this is zero fun.
1: Yeah, but they were, like, effective, right? I mean, he was—he did a good enough job putting out offenses on the field in his past stops where it's like, okay, if you have an elite defense or a borderline elite defense like they do now, you're going to make a lot of noise. Because you've an offense that can take the opportunities that it's given and a defense that's not really going to give those opportunities up. I was talking to Sam earlier about some content that we were workshopping for the site, and I had a question for him that I want to kind of float to you right now um it was a multiple choice question but i'm not going to give you the choices if you okay. had to pick the yeah i'm just dropping this on you isn't it great to have me as a guest Dad That's So great. <laughs> um, if you had to choose the biggest problem with this offense what would it be
0: offensive line
1: okay let see i i that was one of the i think there are three things i think if you source that question like maybe on twitter i think people would say three things they'd say the quarterback the line or the play calling I, I, I really do think it is the line like the more that we watch it because you saw kind of some of the progress that they were making I mean it was really kind of scant throughout the year and then it just all seems to go into a hell in and it gone to hell in a handbasket in the bye week it's just I mean what do you say other than just like eviscerating the individual players on a podcast which I don't think we want to do but no no it's just no I... it's just not good it's just not a good product
0: you, you have a center who was pushed into service way earlier than he wanted to be or than anybody wanted to be because, surprise, the transfer that you brought in didn't academically qualify. No one saw that coming. Okay. Now, the problem is that you return on your left side two guys who have started for the past three years. On the right side, you returned uh, Connor Wood, who played all of last year. And, of course, you had Zeke Powell, who had been a, star, uh, a spot starter before. So you, you, your, your, problem was that you're missing your right tackle spot. Zeke goes down with injury. Connor Wood pops out. Mitchell Walters pops in, and here we are. There's just no push. Um, you know, there's no, there is no ability to reliably open a hole. Their pass protection is slightly better than their run protection, but it's not all that much better. So I, I have criticized Eli about his play calling, and to a certain extent, I stand by that. At the same time, Josh, there's no play you can call if your offensive line can't block, just flat out. And for all the reductiveness of of Eli Drinkwitz's uh, tactical acumen on game day, what do you do on offense if you cannot trust your five guys to get you two yards on the ground? What kind of run, what kind of pass, what kind of zone read do you call if you know that within a second there's going to be someone in the backfield and the guys that you have just aren't going to cut it. You, you don't Clearly, you see the other guys practice. They're not any better, or else you would have put them out there by now. It's just it starts there. And it's none of the individual's fault, per se. It's just it's not a good unit. Marcus Johnson had two good years. He's not had a good unit this year. And I don't know if I don't think it all hinges on you know hiring White missing time and Zeke Ball going out with a with an injury. It's just the guys that they brought in to play offensive line are not ready, and the guys that were left over were backups for Barry Odom. So it's just kind of a problem that you have to sustain for this year in hopes that it gets better next year.
1: Yeah, and and you think about Brady Cook, right? I mean, look, I think everybody, a lot. I won't say everybody. I think a lot of people in the Mizzou fan base are really ready to just see what another quarterback would do really because unfortunately it's gotten to the point where how much worse can it get? Like, I guess you could damage Sam horn's confidence or something, but the the output of the off. Yeah. uh, The output of the offense really can't get much worse. So why not see what else you have, but to defend Brady cook, right? He, is playing like a quarterback that doesn't have an offensive line. And he's been playing yes. like a quarterback that doesn't have an offensive line for for I mean, borderline like 2 months now. Just he he looks like he has never trusted these guys to take care of him, to you. give him time to operate, to make sound decisions. And so he's gotten into all these bad habits. He's he's looking right to his receivers to to make this play happen right away. He's making bad decisions. He is I mean, he's doing all of these things. It's only when the defense sits back and almost gives him that extra time that he can operate well. I I, I remember that drive that he had kind of toward the end of the game this weekend where Vanderbilt, I I think, was just like trying to – they were basically giving Mizzou some more room and not try to give up those chunk yardages. And mm-hmm. Brady Cook actually was able to make some good decisions, right? He he mm-hmm. took what was given to him. He made some smart, just quick outs. Um, He had that one play where he just, it was a broken play because, you know, the offense fell over as soon as the ball was snapped. <laughs> and he scrambled around, and he actually made something happen with his legs. I think he got about five yards and he dove out of bounds. He was really impressive on that drive, but I think it was because Vanderbilt, like, took their foot off the gas a little bit. But... Mm-hmm. As much as he, as poorly as, as he has been playing, and he has been playing poorly, you're right. He he just, the offensive line is not giving him anything to work with. I, I really do think that if there was at least some modicum of just, like, protection, then I'm, we might be seeing a better play out of him. But
0: Here's the thing. Offensive line penalties per game heading into this game, there's 4.5 per game. That's 111th in the country. Pressures allowed, Missouri's ninety third. Blown run block percentage, they're ninety first. Total blown block percentage, ninety first. You want to put Sam Horn behind that, with four receivers that aren't injured, <laughs> with a, with you know Cody Schrader and Nate Pete just alternating who doesn't suck that day, like no. That's the I I look, I am all about getting the youngster some experience. If you wanna if you want to bench Brady Cook, be my guest. The reason Brady is playing this year is because of those stats I just rattled off. They don't have five guys who can protect your Ferrari. You're gonna crash it in a ditch five seconds in. And God, I know he needs the experience. Laura knows I I know he needs the experience. I know he does. You need to get him experience when it's like 28 to nothing. And that's never going to happen. So you either need to put him in a pressure situation where he is going to get destroyed or you just don't play him. And at this point, Eli Drinkwitz, because you know, he's Steve Carell in 40-Year-Old Virgin, he just collects cool toys to have him sit on the shelf. He doesn't want them hurt. He doesn't want them out of the wrapping. Not yet. He's not ready. And to a certain extent, I understand it because this is not a situation to put a freshman quarterback in. At the same time, he is going to be your quarterback long-term. It would behoove you to find a way to get him in there, even if it is a tight game, even if it's less than ideal circumstances, because we cannot repeat last year heading into this year where your backup, the guy who was going to be the guy in the following year, had Very little experience. Brady Cook had one game, a wonderful game under his belt, plus a couple of snaps here or there against Georgia. That was not enough to prepare him. You have to do something, but you cannot make the switch because, oh my God, Sam Horn is going to quit football if you put him out there like this.
1: Yeah, it, it's sort of, it's sort of like what happened in twenty fifteen with Drew Lock. I mean, the offensive line wasn't quite this bad. I mean, I'm thinking about even teams. We've talked even in this podcast. You compare this year's team to the twenty fifteen. Uh, team just because of the how bad the offense was and how good the defense was. I'm even thinking back to 2014. I mean, that offense wasn't – they weren't world beaters by any means because um, Matty Mock was just a flawed quarterback. But, I mean, the offensive line was fine, and they won 11 games. <laughs> they won the SEC East, right? They, they, they Having an offensive line that is dependable, that can open up the run game, and, and Missouri has some good running backs that I think could – do them a lot of to get a lot of production out of and they've clearly got a talented receiving room and quarterback is you know he is what he is but he can manage a game for you at the very least we've seen that um but that just that the floodgates opening after like a half a second after the ball snapped every single Mm -hmm. time just the offense can never get anything going and again I, I want to say for everybody that's tearing their hair out and being like, this Josh guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I don't, first of all. But um, Eli Drinkwitz has a lot of blame to be placed on his shoulders. Brady Cook has blame to be placed on his shoulders. But, like, how how can you not watch this offensive line play and just think – it's kind of like this. We're just saying the same thing over here. Like, what do you do? What do you say no. about, a, about a, a line that can't – open up holes for the run game, can't protect its quarterback. I mean, there's nothing. You just kind of have to sit back and hope it gets better at some point.
0: Yeah. Uh, There are bright spots. I mean, Luther Burden had a career day yesterday in one half of football and then promptly fell off the face of the earth. Uh, Cody Schrader reappeared on the other side of the earth and carried the load for the second half of the game. They were really your best players on offense. Uh, Burden finished with two touchdowns, one through the air, one on the ground. Uh, Schrader had a couple of big runs that he was able to bust up on a a really bad Vanderbilt defense, but you know, Dom, you know, Dominic Lovett was hurt. Barrett Bannister's limited. There's just very clearly a shorter rotation uh, of receivers that you can toss out there if you want to throw the ball. And even then, like I said, you're getting pressured at the 91st worst rate in the country when you drop back to pass. So it is not an easy thing to do. Uh, And burning Schrader had a great game. I don't – you know, Schrader is going to come – I'm assuming he's coming back because he's going on scholarship in January, so I'm assuming he's coming back. Uh, As long as Luther Burden doesn't get poached from the transfer portal, he will be back as well, and for all intents and purposes, he seems to like it here and enjoy the the usage that he gets. So these are all, you know, bumps that you take in your development, which is great. It just sucks that Dom Lovett's injured. Uh, you got Luther Burden who's fighting a high ankle sprain. Peanut Houston and Chance Looper are out all year. Barrett Bannister's banned up. Like Towski Dove is kind of a great run blocker and, and an opportunistic uh, receiver. It, it, it's just limited. And it was cool to see Burden go off. It was nice to see the trader could pick up the pace while while Nate Pete was just getting bulldozed every single play that he got the ball. But, you know, it's just, those were the bright spots and it was fun, but that's, that's not enough to win you any game unless you're playing Vanderbilt.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, I, let me ask you: Did you did you kind of feel that there was a Luther game coming, like midweek? I yeah. kind of feel it. I could kind of feel it. Was it was either going to be
0: this game or New Mexico State, where he was just going to explode.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, you look at his numbers. It's not like he had 200 all-purpose yards and four touchdowns or anything. But I mean, even with a high ankle sprain, you just every time he touched the ball yesterday, it, it, it kind of reminded me of that first game of the year, right? Against Louisiana tech, where just every time he touched the ball it was like, this guy's just, just better than every other player on the field. Mm-hmm. That first touchdown that he had, he made it look so, I tweeted this from the account, but he just made it look so effortless. Just mm-hmm. even the way he spun through that guy and just kind of kept going without breaking a sweat. Uh, he is so much fun to watch, man. And and I, I hope he is as happy as he seems to be. And, all that and it's unfortunate that he doesn't have someone to kind of take the attention away from him especially with love it out um I it seems like there might be a future for Makai Miller but obviously he's not ready to do that yet and the the run game can't get anything going with the offensive line so um yeah I I mean this is what Eli Drinkwitz is paid to do right he's paid to figure Mm -hmm. out okay what do I do what do I do when all of my best options are kind of spent um but I don't know, man. It, I will say it. I mean, I know the answer isn't this simple. And again, I don't know anything. You, you and BK know a lot. Is is the answer? Is the answer as simple as just like try to get the ball to Luther Birdmore? Did he touch the ball in the second half yesterday? He did
0: not. No, he was targeted yeah. one time in the second half, and that was it.
1: Okay, so so he only even one target, right? I I I appreciate that. Other like Vanderbilt is a Division One team, barely, but they are. Um, <laughs> what? I, I appreciate that teams are going to adjust, especially if Burden burns them for a hundred yards and a half, and they're going to swallow him up and make you go to other people. But I mean, you, you can get him the ball in other ways. I, I know you can, Eli Drinkwitz. I know you're listening to this. <laughs> just get him the God, ball. Does. Just, just give him the ball. Come on, man. Like I, if, if even if you have to wildcat him for a second, just. Throw them a different look so that you can find other ways to get him the ball. He just seems so stuck in this rut. And again, it might be because he has no trust that his offensive line and therefore his quarterback can make any of that stuff happen. But again, Mm -hmm. what's what's the harm? What what are Mm -hmm. you what are you what are you producing with this current this current rhythm that is making you say, well, I can't stop doing this because clearly it's working. (laughs) It's not. So yeah, I, I would really just again, it's it's a simple answer, but I would really just like to see them try to get him the ball more in more creative ways. You know, I know Mookie Cooper only had one catch yesterday. I think he's looked okay. I, I would like to try to see him get the ball more. If he can get open, that might be the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Maybe hopefully Love it can can heal up a little bit. I'm just looking at the roster right now and. Yeah, I just I, I don't know what options there are left other than just hope that people get healthy and that Luther Burton can save your ass. So yeah.
0: I mean, so so if Love It is truly limited for the rest of the season, which you had a bye week and he was targeted, he was active, but he was not the same. Well, let's just assume that he is going to be limited either in targets or just snaps in general. What do you do? Well, okay, so you have Luther Burden, who is also injured. Okay. Does that mean that the Wildcat is out? Well, frankly, we only saw the Wildcat against Louisiana Tech. We saw it during summer practices or fall practices. We kept mum on it until it was rolled out in Louisiana Tech. It was awesome. We have not seen it since Thursday of the opening week of the season. Just hasn't happened. Can't find a way to put him out there. Is it because Luther is injured? Okay, that's fine. Why are you playing him? <laughs> like, I, I there, you get to a point where you wonder, okay, are you, are you trying to save things up for next season or are you truly trying to win now? And it, all of Eli Drinkwitz's actions seem to say both, where he will selectively play or sit people or selectively be aggressive or conservative, and mostly just conservative, especially towards the end of the game. Like it just, you get mixed messages from the activity of the coach. So it's tough to tell exactly what he's doing. For all intents and purposes, it seems like he's trying to maximize his wins right now. So he's playing, you know, Luther Burton injured. He's playing. Dominic Lovett injured. So let's just assume that that's going to be the case, but they're limited. There's really no other option that you can do other than hope Mookie Cooper gets better at route running, uh, which he needs to hang out with Dom Lovett this summer and start shoring up on what it takes to get fight through contact at the line of scrimmage and and finish through your route. Because at the end of the day, Missouri is slightly better at running the ball than they are passing the ball, and they're really not very good at that. Uh, So it's... You know, little hitches, little slants. You just you know get get that crappy little orbit uh, orbit motion out of the slot and and just push past it to them and hope that they run five yards to get back to the line of scrimmage and then another twenty after that. Like, it's it's a tough ask when your most talented skill position players are limited and everybody else is bad. I don't know what you do with Brady Cook being your quarterback and Dominic Lovett and all that stuff happening but this is why I'm not paid $4 million to coach this team and Eli Drinkwitz is. Unfortunately, the answers that he has rolled out that we have seen are not satisfactory. So let me ask you this, Josh. I know you know nothing, but is Eli actually doing the best he can? Like, is this this actually his answer? Or is the situation so bad that even Nick Saban couldn't coach his way out of this situation?
1: Well, actually, I've, um, so I've got, Kind of a conspiracy theory that I wanted to. Float.
0: Ooh, I want to hear it.
1: Okay, you know how at the beginning of every season, it, we, we everybody thinks this way. You think, oh well, we're like, I hope they, I hope they save the playbook. I hope they save the good stuff until they really play a good team. And, you know, teams like Alabama and Georgia and stuff, they don't have to worry about that because they end up playing good teams all the time. But teams like Mizzou that have these blood donor games, don't, don't break out the good stuff against Louisiana Tech. Save it for Kansas State, right? You know, you know how we you all kind of talk that way?
0: Sure, sure.
1: I think – well, I don't think. It's a conspiracy theory. You know, it's, it's... – what if Eli Drinkwitz is doing that but on, like, a way bigger scale? What if he is doing that, but in terms of years rather than games? Let me, let me explain. Let me explain. Okay. Levi, you can, you can cut, you can cut, you can cut this part out. If, if no, we're Levi, not, let it this, go. If, if we're not to this level of speculation on the pod, um, <laughs> I can't remember you and BK talking about it, but it is what it is. Um, I don't think Eli Drinkwitz wants to be here anymore. Um, And I think he's looking for an out. And I think he's looking for an out at a good school. And I'm I'm not sure he wants to just dive for some, you know, conference USA gig. And here's the way he can do that, right? He can maximize wins like you've talked about. And he can say, look what I did at Mizzou. I recruited top 25 classes pretty much every single year that I was a full-time coach at Mizzou. That remains to be seen with this current class but I recruited a top 25 class and a top 15 class at Mizzou. I had a real a defense that was really sucky one year. I hired a guy. I, I, I chose the right people to evaluate my roster and turn it around right away. Once my offensive guys got healthy and my guys grew up and weren't just freshmen, we turned that around as well. I think he is looking for that breakout next year. He's looking to win like eight games and then he is looking to split. He is looking to say, hey, peace out, because the, the turnover in college coaching is so much now at this point that if you recruit well and you win, you, you prove over the course of three or four years that you can win games at a place where it's hard to win like Mizzou, someone's going to be dumb and someone's going to give you a bunch of money, right? I think he is saving his best stuff, play calling, talent. For next year, I think there are probably guys on the roster that we'll see next year that maybe could have played this year, or maybe they're just still kind of cooking this year, and he's not letting them out so that next year he can have his breakout and go. And we've talked about next year being the breakout, regardless. But I almost wonder if mm-hmm. he's, if he's, if he's planning on that. Now, on a scale of uh, jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams to there's um there are there are really shady things happening in the basement of this pizza restaurant. Where does this conspiracy theory rank for you?
0: Okay. Okay. That is an odd scale. But let me see if I can operate inside it. Um, it's a, it's a it's very
1: binary in the way that I
0: just it presented is, it. It is. I okay. So no BK have not talked BK and I have not talked about this. But we are 35 minutes into a post Vanderbilt show that was lackluster and bad. So I'm assuming anyone who's listening at this point is, is few and far between. So I won't let's be just on the get the podcast it out
1: again until like next year, aside from when I'm on it in a few days. And, but and I won't, a few so, days. so, so, so nobody can, so please send your complaints to Nate and BK and then I'll address right. them in December of 2023.
0: There you go. So, uh, we have known since about February or March that, that, uh, Eli is frustrated with this situation here. Uh, Fan support, money, abundance, um, ability to get things done, all that sort of stuff. Typical stuff that you get from a MacGyver program, which is what Missouri is, right? There are things that you have to get creative, problems that you have to get creative to solve. And there are coaches who are, you know, top chef coaches who you give them a box of ingredients and they'll make it happen and others, you know, just need a, they need their uh, utensils, their their kitchen, their people, they need to thrive. I don't know which one Eli Drinkwitz is or what he prefers, but clearly he doesn't like it here. He does want another job. Now, he's gunning for the Auburn job. He Apparently his sights were set on, on getting back to uh, Auburn where he had a lot of good experiences coming up. Um, but, buddy, you've only got three wins. <laughs> Even Auburn isn't that stupid to hire you off of that. So he does need a little bit more padding of the resume um, to to leave if that's what he wants to do. So, your theory, in which, you know, he is uh, you know, pulling an NBA team and tanking the season, uh, not for a draft pick, but to kind of give the okie doke to the uh, to the competition and you know blow him out of the water next year, I don't think it's far fetched. I don't think it's out of the realm of plausibility. I do think though that for all of his actions, Eli Drinkwitz is dead set on winning as much as he can now for as many job interviews as he can as he can wrestle. Um, you know, again, I don't know. He's not going to leave an SEC school for a Conference USA gig. He's not going to leave for an American gig. But like you said, administrators are stupid and they throw a lot of money in a lot of dumb places. And I mean, God, we we hired him off of one year at App State. Maybe someone goes, oh, there's a lot of potential here for a guy who's you know either 40 or under 40. I can't remember which one. Um, and, and decides to throw money at him. So you could be right. Um, every move that he has made, has seemingly said, I need to win now so I can get out. But if he kind of saw what the offensive line did after two games and he decided to kind of hold back the dogs of war and unleash them next year. Okay. I can see that. My question though, is how do you know they're going to be ready? <laughs> how do you know they're going to be good? Because practice tells you a little bit, but game time tells you a lot more. And I, either he knows he has just an all-star team <laughs> sitting on the bench right now and is unafraid of any poaching opportunities <laughs> coming from the portal uh, or he is he is truly in win now and and he doesn't think freshmen can do it. so I, I don't think you're far off. I just think this does fit as a conspiracy theory more than an actual confirmed theory.
1: let me let me tweak it slightly. What if okay. he's not tanking? on the season but what if he is not throwing his best stuff out there here and here's what here's kind of why I think that is if you just watched Eli Drinkwitz's career from the perspective of 2022 you would say what the hell is anybody doing giving this guy any money to be anywhere near the football field like, he is just, it is bizarre, the the decisions that he is making and the way he's managing his, the way he's managing his talent and the way he's managing time. It, it It's just, it's so strange, especially when you think back to 2020, his first year in charge. And I know, asterisk COVID year, all that he looked like he at least had some idea of like what he was doing, right? Mm-hmm. The team, the team won close games. And I know that there's a luck element to that, but they played hard in close games and they were able to turn around some of those results. He had a creative playbook that he didn't always break out, but he did break it out more often than he is doing now. Um, it's just, it, he was winning with less talented players at that point. Just frankly, no offense to anybody who, played on mizzou at that point or but he it's almost like he's forgotten how to coach on a certain level and to me i just i don't understand what other reason there would be for that other than he's taking a longer term view of his prospects past mizzou and how his time at Missouri can help him get there again this is a conspiracy theory i only believe this about like 30 (laughs) percent but
0: I mean, you're I, also assuming th- that his talent evaluation is 100% spot on. Because I mean, for all of the faults not- of Barry Odom running the program, talent identification mm-hmm. was not one of them. He couldn't deploy them correctly. Lord knows he couldn't do that. But he found some gems. Every, every guy who's gone to the NFL the past three years was an Odom guy. Uh, so I think Odom had a better team than we thought. And I thought Drinkwitz kind of took advantage of that. And now the question is: Does is he good at talent evaluation? And which kind of just leaves us back to where we're at.
1: I don't know, man. Luther Burton's pretty good. He
0: sure, the, the, the shiny five star, the best receiver in the country. Yeah, I think the talent evaluation was spot on with hey, that one. Hey, yeah, I'll agree. tell you what.
1: He 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 didn't miss. He didn't miss on that one. That was <laughs> he, he <did> nailed it.
0: <laughs> I mean, you know,
1: Anis Rakestraw's been pretty good. Um, yes, I yeah. I mean, he he's turned out to be pretty good. Um, Sam Horn sounds good.
0: Dominic Lovett's he's, good.
1: Yeah, Dominic Lovett is really fun. Man, I'm so sad he's hurt. You know who I really miss? I almost mentioned him earlier, and we kind of we went off in another direction. I really miss watching Chance Luper play. I really Dude, think this yeah. offense misses him a lot. He's yeah. not a flashy player, but he's a guy that's going to get like two or three catches a game. I think he averaged just under three catches a game last year. And he's going to get chunky yardage pretty much. He's almost like Barrett Bannister. But for more purposes than just third downs, he's just a solid guy that you have to pay attention to, because if you don't, mm. he's going to burn you. Um, he was pretty good. That was a pretty good pickup. And, and you yeah. know what? You are absolutely right. We don't know that Eli Drinkwitz talent evaluation is, um, is is spot on. Again, I only believe my conspiracy theory 30% but it is what it is I do have another conspiracy theory that uh, yes. that BK skipped out on this game or skipped out on this week so that he wouldn't have to talk about this game on the podcast but I think the more I <laughs> the more I kind of turn that one over I think that's just good planning on his part so
0: yeah shouts out to uh, whatever friend decided to get married this week uh, you are you are the true hero in BK's world because he didn't have to do anything with this game uh, he did text me at one point uh, and I said you know I was like i basically said, why, why are you watching this game? You don't have to do that. And he's like happy hour in between the ceremony and the reception. So he, even he couldn't help himself, but, uh, I don't think he stayed to watch very long. And so now he doesn't have to talk about it. He doesn't have to write about it. And he's just, he's just the luckiest boy in the world. That's, that's all he is.
1: Good for you, man.
0: Great. Just great. Just great. On the flip side, I, a total idiot, Uh, Told my family to go away. Uh, I gave me a couple hours to watch this game in peace. And I missed out on some quality bonding time with my kids while I watched this team just flail around for 60 minutes and try to lose every, every way possible. And yet still end up winning. I went upstairs and just laid on the floor. Once it was done and my daughter said, daddy, did they win? And I said (laughs) against their best efforts. Yes, daughter, they won. Uh, So, you know, that's me. I'm an idiot that watches this team, and 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 God bless the defense because man, unlike the 2007, 2008 versions of this team, I cannot wait for the defense to get on the field because that's that's where the fun happens. And I can't believe I'm saying that out loud, but 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 here we are.
1: Yeah, to close out the dad pod on a very dad note, I'm really worried that my my kids are going to become Mizzou fans and they're going to look back on the work that I did covering Mizzou, specifically at this kind of time of Mizzou's history. And they're going to look at the team and they're going to be like, you didn't hang out with me. So you could watch that. (laughs) And so you could write about that. And they're going to go to therapy and they're going to talk about me. And they're like, he was just like watching Mizzou and i was just like in the prime of my life just growing up doing miracles before his eyes every day and he was watching Mizzou. how like, how do you how do i deal with that i'm really worried that that's going to come back to haunt me at some
0: point in my life yeah well i'm trying to get my kids into watching football my son loves it cuz he likes the colors and the movement
1: that's but just yeah, my harmful. Like,
0: yeah well i mean it is but my daughter's like well why doesn't your team win more and i'm like i, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's the question every Mizzou fan for generations has been asking themselves uh, since this stupid team ran out on the field. So here we are, uh, but luckily we are, like I said, we are a split uh, Mizzou USC household. So at least we have one really cool team to watch, uh, to win, uh, win football games uh, unless they play Utah. So you know they get they get both sides of it, and hopefully it's not enough to screw them up forever. So Josh, you'll be back on Wednesday, uh, but to close this yes. show out, is there, are there any parting words of wisdom or? words of hope that you would bestow upon our, our listenership who's just floundering for any kind of good news at this point?
1: Um, uh, not anything that probably is going to make anybody feel too much better considering my level of expertise. Uh, I would say that I, I, would, I would remind people kind of how we felt probably about two weeks ago. I remember when you and BK did your last podcast before the bye week there was kind of this sense that Mizzou was improving a little bit. The record didn't reflect it. The performance didn't always reflect it, but there was kind of a sense of cohesion, a sense of um, that there was just kind of this next step that needed to happen. I think Martez Manuel talked about it in the bye week uh, during one of the pressers that our beat guys went to, where he said, we think that we're just kind of one play away or one or two plays away. And, I'm really hoping that maybe the bye week they just came out flat. Um, even if they looked better in the first half, they, they just nothing about that second half inspired any sort of confidence. So maybe they can get that back. But on the flip side, maybe the bye week took that momentum away, and maybe we're about to trudge to a four and eight finish to the season, and then just absolutely brutal off season to follow. We'll see. Um, Started a positive there, ended on a real downer. Uh, I'm sure y'all can't wait to have me back on Wednesday.
0: Well, Missouri gets ready to play South Carolina at Columbia East, and the Gamecocks just took down uh, Texas A&M, which, as I've said before, is Mizzou with five-star talent. So you know they got a lot of practice winning sloppy games that uh, with misplaced, misallocated talent and, and boring game plans. So we'll see what that means for us uh, for this week, but we'll tackle that on Wednesday. That's a that's a problem for future Josh and future Nate. For now, that's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at NateG Edwards. He is at Josh Magica. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M.I.Z.
1: See